Hey everyone, I'm Ian Skura. And I'm Emily Hickmott. And welcome back to The Beat. This week we're doing a special episode um, in preparation for U.S. Quidditch Nationals next week. And the basic idea is we're going to be giving ourselves questions and we get to each pick a side of our question and argue for it. Um, so yeah, this is a little preview to get us talking about nationals and just to kind of have some fun yeah it should be a lot of fun this episode is also in the spirit of debate going to be a lot less edited uh and yeah really just to hear us ramble and try and kind of be on either side of the different arguments and questions we've posed ourselves yeah and feel free to comment with what your takes on our questions are and Maybe we'll get some healthy dialogue out of it. Yeah, very true. And I mean, main thing is the two of us are just really excited for a nationals and for one the first nationals in a couple of years now, as I hope yeah. you all are too. All right. So yeah, that's oh yeah, let's jump right into it. <laughs> cool. All right. Our first question is will a new region win a championship? Or will it be a region that has any already won? And for those of you all who may not be old like me, um, the t- regions that have won championships are the Northeast and Southwest, and everyone else is not. So let's jump on in. Yeah. Ian, you begin. Yeah, all right. So I think for this question, uh, I'm going to argue, I'm going to go to the college side of things and argue that they're will be a new region crowned championship of U.S. Quidditch Nationals for the college division. Um, And I think the best candidate for that would be Creighton. Um, And so the Midwest region. Um, I mean, this team has traveled around a lot of the country, um, most of it, honestly, and played a lot of different college teams in preparation throughout the season. They've won multiple regionals. And I just think that in that preparation, in facing some of the top teams from the rest of the country, that uh, this Creighton team will have a really good shot at putting up a fight against pretty much anyone they'll come across in their path. Um, I also think that, again, having faced a lot of the other regions, that going into their pool, um, they probably will be able to handle things pretty quickly uh, and then have a pretty good shot in bracket and be pretty well rested. Um, and have a big enough roster to sustain for that whole tournament. Um, And then, I mean, from that same region, I think there's also some argument to be made that uh, because of kind of how good Creighton has been, you have this Kansas team, this Mizzou team, um, who could make deep runs uh, as well. Um, So, I mean, I I think there are some other teams in there that could could make runs, but I, I think Creighton is probably the one I see having the best shot at winning a title. All right. So I will be arguing that it's going to be one of the two regions that have already won for both club and college. I'll start with club. If you look at the results across this season, there have been four standout teams that when any other team has played these four teams, it's generally been out of range and they are Bosnian Bear Sharks, the Warriors, Texas Hill Country Heat, and um, Cavalry, and also at this point, I think you can solidly say Pegasus Quidditch is also up there because 
they lost some very, very close games at Alamo Cup. But those two regions are the ones that have, when you look at when teams have like played against each other who are outside of that, they have been un- basically unbeatable but from other teams outside of those top five. And so I think it would take a lot for a club team that's not one of those five. And also, again, haven't Pandas hasn't gotten to see the Texas team, so we don't know how they'll stack up. Um, so I think even though those, I, I would say that like that's the block, and I don't really know if there's anyone outside of that block who can really like challenge. But we'll find out. We'll see. Um, and then within college, I know there are only three um, Southwest teams going, but they are Stam Houston, UTSA, and Texas Quidditch. Those three teams have a lot of MLQ experience, a lot of experience playing each other. And if you look at the times that that, like that Texas team went outside of their region, they like, I'm not going to say caked on, but they took Creighton <laughs> well out of range both times. Um, so I think that is something that's really important to think about. And then uh, I think those Texas teams are probably in a better place for a regional, like for a championship. But I also do think that the Northeast has a lot of teams that are good in different ways. And all of the Northeast teams have players who are coaching them that will make adjustments that I know is going to be hard. And I know that's one thing about the Northeast that's like really different from a lot of other places is how many teams have club coaches. And I think that's going to be super helpful, actually just like any coach in making those adjustments on the fly, because like this is the first nationals in a while. You're going to see people who play differently than you and the teams that make the adjustments the quickest are going to be the teams that succeed. And that's going to help like having someone on the sideline to just kind of do that will be very helpful. Um, Again, we will see what happens, but I, yeah, it's, going to be an adventure yeah um i mean do you want to just jump into the, the next question yeah all right Hi. so the, this next question um for both club and college uh both divisions how many total regions will be in the elite or be represented in the elite eight and we're gonna make this question an over under at three and a half team or three and a half regions rather um do you want to go first on this one? Yes. I will take the over um, because I believe that for both there, like, I do think that this is the most wide open that a championship or like a nationals has been in a while. And I think there are a lot of different ways, especially with like all you have to do to make the bracket is to win two games. And so if all you have to do is win two games and you have a pool that allows you to kind of beef up your tiebreakers, puts you in a nice spot where you don't hit someone else, it could be relatively smooth sailing to the Elite Eight. I personally do not currently know the size of the bracket. We all, None of us do, but assuming that it's like a 16-team bracket and then people play in from there... 
all you really will have to do is win like a game or two to get to that elite eight. And I think, as you mentioned before, there are a lot of different teams and from different regions who have a lot of strengths. You've got Cal with uh, Aiden Phipps and they're like stable of women chasers who just absolutely crush everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got Maryland who was beating teams from the Northeast playing down a player at the, uh, at Knights cup. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got UVA who's had some really close games, a lot against, against those like Northeast teams. And you've got Creighton, you've got um, Michigan, you've got teams that have always showed up at nationals. Like my favorite thing about Michigan is how Michigan really just always shows up at nationals and it's fun to see. Um, so I think we will definitely see four, at least four regions in the elite eight um, and for college. And then for club, while I do think that those, there are clear regional favorites from there, I do think Terminus has shown that they have an ability to hang with teams. Boom Train has shown that they have an ability to hang with teams. All it takes is like one snitch catch and a couple of goals and we could see some um, people pull it out. So I think that there will be more than 3.5 uh, total regions in both of the lead eights for both divisions. Yeah, those are some good takes. Um, that being said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue the flip side of things and argue the under. Um, I think for, I'll start with the club division and just kind of reiterate some of the points you made um, with talking about the champion from from the club division i think that uh similar principles can hold true that i think the, the southwest and the northeast in particular and the club teams there um have shown kind of some of even if they aren't all wins just the strongest parity in a lot of their games against um challenging opponents from other regions um and so i think that well, I'm not sure exactly how many teams will make the bracket. I think even in that first series of games, that first round of brackets, that uh, things will start to narrow down really quickly to those elite teams um, from especially the Northeast and the Southwest divisions. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how those brackets play out. But I think in, in the club division, I really see um, some of those teams kind of stepping up like Texas Hill Country Heat, uh, you got Pegasus, uh, Texas Calvary um, from the Southwest, all kind of playing each other really close all the time. And I think um, those teams will really start to stand out in that bracket round, assuming they don't have to play each other in the first round. Um, and then for college, arguing the flip side, while I do think it's a pretty wide open uh, nationals compared to previous years, um, especially kind of with uh, the the long break there's been. Um, I, I think something similar will happen just in that, uh, you know, you have a Northeast region representing significantly more teams than most of the rest of the country. Um, you have the Midwest region with some really strong teams, uh, and then you have the Southwest with only three teams, I believe, but uh, three really strong teams that I think, um, again, play each other to a little bit more parity and, and kind of push each other to get better. And I think some of those things like 
I mean, honestly, the, the athleticism in Chaser Town, I think, in the Southwest will really start to stand out. And so I think when you get even just past that first round of bracket play, uh, that by the time you get to the Elite Eight, you're only really going to have around three regions left. All right. I think that we have thoroughly covered that question. Um, who knows how we actually think? <laughs> <laughs> um, so our next question is the college D1 bracket. Um, do we think that more than 50% of games are going to have a snitch catch or less than 50% of games will have a snitch catch? Yeah, I'm going to say... I mean, obviously, it will depend on the snitches and who's who's snitching each game in the bracket play. But uh, judging based on some of the long games I've seen, uh, and I mean, there are a few teams that have very strong seekers, but I'm going to say that I have been generally a little less impressed with the overall seeking talent in the country. I think partly just because, you know, it's been so long since people have been able to play on a normal season. So I'm going to go with less than 50% of those games have a snitch catch. Cool. All right. I am going to argue that more than 50% of the games have a snitch catch. Um, as we know, there are always going to be people, like at this point, everyone's had like at least almost a year to practice. People have chances to learn and grow. You've got more opportunities for people to practice. And I think a lot of the early long games um, where there were no snitch catches in like this early in the season was just people still figuring out how to snitch seek. And I think there is a depth of solid seekers. Um, I also think that um, while I do think there will obviously be good snitching at nationals because it's nationals, there's always going to be like those rounds of scheduling where things get like maybe it's an elite eight and they have eight fields going and like maybe there are like solidly six really, really good snitches who are non-playing and are available. So there's going to be and like assuming some of those match up with like really incredible seekers like Leo Freed, Henry Bear Benson. Um, they, they still have snitch catches, plus maybe the snitch who, like, are trying, and the snitches who are maybe less experienced still also get caught. Plus, I also think with the new endgame, everyone is trying to catch the snitch, unless you're UT. Um, and <laughs> that is just going to increase the number of looks that you're going to have a snitch have to deal with. And so I think that with all of those factors combined, we're going to get more than 50% of the bracket games in the college B1 having the snitch catch. Also, I'm hoping that for sake of the schedule, because we love things that are on time. Yeah, there's definitely that, that factor as well. <laughs> all right. So our next question, I think this is, well, depending on which side we pick is going to be an interesting one. Do you think there will be no regional winners in the final four or only regional winners in the final four? And just to summarize for people listening, and this is just based on the college division, um, the Southwest regional winner was Texas. Mid-Atlantic was Maryland. The South was University of Florida. West was Cal. 
Midwest was Creighton, and Great Lakes was also Creighton. All right, so I will be arguing that there will only be regional winners in this final four. And I think the big thing about this is just making sure, like kind of, we'll go through each one, um, one by one. And I know there are only technically five regional winners in the final four, like available, but we believe in all five of them. So let's talk about UT. UT has been very, like they're undefeated at this point. They are the only undefeated team in the entire country across club and college. I'm actually gonna double check that, but I'm like 90% sure. <laughs> any inaccuracies, I apologize. Ah, I am correct. Haha. <laughs> they are 16 and 0. That's a lot of games to win. This team knows how to win. Um, they also like while their draw in like the giant blob of six is not necessarily the best because they are gonna have to play at least one team that is like better than other one seeds I might have to play. They are still the most dominant team in college. You got Casey Beavers, who is a sort of, as our dear friend Kellen Cooper says, a certified dog. It's true. She is so good, incredible. Just give Casey the ball. Um, you've got Davis Rowe, you've got Jack Wong, you've got an absolute like people who know how to win games. So I, UT, UT is gonna have like, I see it very hard, like I see very rare, it's very hard to see a final four that doesn't have UT in it. All right, next, let's go Maryland. Now we've talked, we Quidditch people have talked a lot about the fact that Maryland does not have as much depth as other players and, and other teams and they run a little bit small, but I think they did get very lucky in their pool draw with getting Brown Bears Quidditch, Illini Ridgeback, and Emerson College Quidditch. Maryland has beaten uh, Rutgers, who I think beat both Brown, beat Brown at the not NERC tournament. Um, and Maryland did that sans a chaser. Um, so I think this draw, like, is very friendly to them, which will allow their bracket run to be much smoother than if they had seen some one of the harder two or three seeds. Um, like they could have gotten SHSU and that might, would have been a much like more spicy pool for them. Um, and then again, assuming 16 team bracket, there are one seed, they will get a buy. They'll probably be sitting somewhere in that 16 team bracket. All they have to do is win two games. And this team is talented enough and they have the players who are good enough to do that. And like, I know people talk about altitude, talk about needing to be in shape, but there have been a lot of like, a lot of, if you actually look at who's playing for a full tournament, there have been lots of situations where a very light rostered team has still been able to pull it through. And I do think that Maryland, again, like UT, has that ability to just win games. Um, next, we've got the University of Florida. And I am going to be honest, I have not watched very much film of them. But I do think that they have a chip on their shoulder. And they also got like, I don't think their draw is as friendly as Maryland's because I do think 
like Blue Jay has a lot of also has that chip on their shoulder, has been playing with Creighton a lot. BU is very well coached and has a lot of players. Like they have a really, really solid beater pair. Um, and Dark Snare, I have nothing but wonderful things to say about Mitch Vargas, and I'm so excited for him to be on Rochester again this year. I hope sending only good vibes for that. But I do think if they get out of that pool, they are going to be really hungry for that win. And I know Nick Zakoski, his their coach, has a lot of like things to prove and feels like his team didn't get the chance to show that who they were because of the last two like USQ Nationals uh, free years. And so I think that they're going to want it really, really badly. And then Cal, I think, is very dominant. And I think they have the, like, you look at the University of Rochester's run in 2018, and, like, if you have dominant beaters and people who can ball carry, um, you can win a national title, even if you aren't the deepest. Or um, I do think, yeah, so I think Cal has the ability to get into that final four. And then Creighton, I think, has showed, like, again, looking at the standings, Creighton has played 21 games and has lost two of them, and the only two games they've lost has been to Texas. So I don't see there really being – and, like, those are teams – the teams that play, Creighton has played against are teams that are always in that competition. They've played Kansas. They've played Michigan. They've played um, Tufts. They've played – Mizzou, they've played Rutgers, they've played all of these people. And so I think they have the experience and they will be able to get into that final four. Um, so yeah, I think that's where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, looking at the flip side of things, my my biggest argument would just be that there is, I think, a possibility that no regional winners would be in the final four and the way i see this playing out is that um i mean i guess like we've talked about this bracket will likely be around 16 teams or so um and so by the time you've kind of made it out of your pool you've you've weeded out a lot of teams and um i think like both of us have brought up at this point um i mean this is the first nationals back in a couple years uh not a lot of teams have had a chance to play cross country very much um, with a few exceptions. And so, you know, there's a lot of talent that we don't always know about. And also I think there's a little more parity just generally across the college division than there has been. Um, And so I see a scenario in which a lot of these teams end up facing each other really early in the bracket, especially based on USQ seedings um, and end up, kind of weeding each other out before they're even able to get to the final four. Um, so, you know, there, I, I would say too, that another argument would be that a lot of these regional winners have played really close games in their region and even lost to other teams. Um, I mean, university of Maryland, uh, has, has lost a few games, has had depth issues, um, has had to face a really strong UVA team. Um, and also some really strong Northeast teams like Harvard uh, at Knights Cup, for example, where they where they lost. Um, 
this Cal team have, you know, went back and forth with UCLA um, and it's, the games have gone either direction depending on the game. And I think there was a lot of physicality in both of those games when Cal and UCLA played. And so, for example, um, you know, either both of these teams have shown basically that uh, depending on kind of the flow of the game that they can or can't pull out victories. Um, and then... Creighton and Texas haven't faced a lot of parity necessarily, um, except with each other a little bit. But I would argue that, you know, we've seen some pretty crazy things in nationals in the past. Um, and as much as this these Texas and Creighton teams might be favored, if there was going to be a year for either of these teams that seem like giant favorites to lose, um, I think a first Quidditch nationals back from, you know, a COVID pandemic might be the year that it would happen. Yeah, I think those are excellent arguments. So, all right, our next question is another one that is region-based because, yeah, we're killing it. Um, which region do you think will have the most pool winners for college? Yeah, I think looking at the pools um i might actually give my nod to the midwest region um so looking at the collegiate pools i'm actually just going to go through each of the pools uh that has a team that, or midwest team that i think could win um i think if you look at pool a um i think like we've talked about before university of florida uh you know, people, I think the South region in general doesn't always get a lot of exposure to other regions in the country playing in the rest of the season, except at nationals. So I think it's hard to know exactly how Florida will stack against these other teams. Um, and like we've talked about Blue Jays in that pool um, and Blue Jay gets to play against, you know, their 18 Creighton every day or every practice throughout the season. Um, and so I think that there's a pretty big possibility that Blue Jay could end up winning this pool. Um, and then Pool B, you have Creighton, the full A team, who, as we've talked about, has played all over the country, played against teams from all over, and won almost every game except for those Texas games. So um, I think they could really comfortably be the winner out of their pool in Pool B. Um, pool C does have you know, some parity, but um, despite a pretty strong Tufts team um, and a Marquette and Bowling Green, which I'm a little less familiar with, um, Having seen some of the results, I think Kansas has a lot of potential and has played Creighton and Mizzou um, and had to kind of face some of these other really strong teams in the country. So I think there's a very real possibility that they could come out. I mean, the region has been known for physicality in the past, um, and the Northeast, for example, with Tufts, hasn't always been known for physicality. So it's possible that I could see a Kansas team kind of upsetting and surprising at Tufts and taking the pool. Um, and then if you skip ahead to pool F, um, Mizzou being the number one uh, potted team in this pool. Uh, I, I see them playing every team strong in this in this pool and, and probably taking it as well. I know Rutgers is a really strong team, um, has a lot of athleticism, has shown a lot of promise throughout the season, but not always gotten the results. And so I think Mizzou has had more luck kind of closing out games and will continue to do so throughout the rest of their pool. So those are the winners I see, and therefore I think I see the Midwest region taking the most number of pools. All right. I 
am definitely going to be a homer here, but it's also, to me, it makes sense because it's a numbers game, and I'm going to go with the Northeast. Um, Northeast is, I think, the only region with at least one team in every single pool or blob. And I think that even some of, like, let's look at, like, Pool A, Boston University, and Dark Snare. I think <clears throat> Boston, again, I already talked about BU's beaters, but I also think that they are going to be, like, they play, I think the big thing is, like, Northeast Quidditch played, has been playing more this spring than I feel like other places have been playing. So they're just, I feel like, going to have more actual game experience. Um, also, depending on what this Dark Snare team looks like and who they're able to bring, like, there are, like, again, this is me maybe being a little bit of a Rochester homer, but if you have, like, Brady Grow, um, you have Mitch Vargas, you have Avery Oliver, that's, uh, like, very high-quality beaters, chaser, and off-ball chaser. And, like, I cannot express how great at distributing Mitch Vargas is. He's so good at being able to just put the ball in good spots. And I think he'll give a lot of people, like, he's going to be a star. Just keep your eye on him. Um, and then, again, Pool B, you have an RPI team that I think is currently peaking at the right time. Um, I know there have there were some losses to like D two teams in the MQC earlier this year, but I think they are kind of figuring things out. They started running a new zone, and I think that they have like they're pretty disciplined, and they have a lot of the pieces that you would need to kind of beat Creighton because um, like Mason DeBuff especially has really blossomed into an excellent point defender. So I think he will be able to like force uh, Darian Merrick Ellis to pass the ball a little bit more and put more pressure on the rest of Creighton to do their job. And then we've got Pool C with the Tufts University Tufflepuffs. Um, and again, I am and forever will be Tufts biggest fan. Um, but I also think that this is one of the strongest Tufts teams we've seen in a while. They have multiple lines of beaters who can control games. Brooke Smiley and Jordan Smiley are both stars that captain this team really well. And I think that more than a lot of other college teams, they have the, like, Henry Bear Benson is so clutch in the situations when you need him to be really clutch. And I think, like, that should put them, like, that, I think, alone will really push them into winning the C. So there, those three. Um, in Pool D, again, I kind I know, again, we're making arguments against ourselves on some of these, but yeah. I do think that Brown Bear, um, Brown has really grown as a team and has focused on making sure everybody gets minutes and gets good. And so I think, like, if they are running and gunning with Maryland and they have are, are bringing more people and have a little bit more depth, they might be able to maybe pull an upset um, and take that Maryland team. I don't know. I'll see. We'll find out. Um, I'm also just excited to watch 
Andrew Steinberg and TJ Generate run around the field against each other. Yeah, it'll be so fun. Who doesn't want to watch that? Um, and then uh, I going to say that Pooley, it would be a very hard for Brandeis to win that pool. It's a lot of very physical teams, um, but which I think is something that Brandeis struggles with. But I do think Eli Fighter is a star, and I do think Brandeis's beater pair of Fidesha, Jay, and Adrian Karaski are like the kind of beaters that can take over games. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not saying necessarily that Brandeis will win this pool because I just think it's a really hard pool to be a four seed in because all of these teams are going to hit you and they're going to have a lot of physicality, which I think is something that Brandeis is not the best matchup for. Um, and then, but again, first four solidly could see it. Northeast teams were there and that would put us at four. And then the fifth, you've got Rutgers and Mizzou. And I think that this Rutgers team has only gotten better with the more that they've played together. They were able to keep a Creighton team at Oktoberfest in range. And it was a lot of their time, first times playing Quidditch. So I think that again, like they match up really nicely and I think could take um, this pool from Mizzou. And I also know Penn State has, they played and I honestly don't remember the result, but I I think Rutgers could do it. And then I will say Middlebury, I know is bringing a small roster and University of Rochester is still figuring things out, but I still think that we could probably get five Northeast pool winners if things go well. And like, depending on how, like when teams are playing their one seeds, I think that'll kind of affect it. So that's where I stand on the regions with most pool winners. All right. Our next question. Um, So the next question is looking at the pools for each division. Um, Will the number of two win teams for college or club be over or under 17 and a half teams. Um, so for college, I think that I am going to argue um, that there will be under 17 and a half teams with two wins. Um, I know we've talked about that there's a lot of parity or there could be a lot of parity um, throughout the whole division. Um, but I still see kind of things, basically, I see, I still see these dominant teams kind of weeding out other teams and and securing the wins that they are on paper supposed to. Um, and so I'm, I, I still think that brackets will play out a lot more, whether it's accurate to the seeding or not, what kind of the way that you might expect, um, based on how dominant teams like Texas and Creighton, um, even like UTSA against opponents that aren't Texas, uh, teams like Tufts, Harvard, um, Michigan, I think they will win the games that they're supposed to and we'll get right around a 16-team bracket. I think that that is a valid argument. And maybe is it? Maybe it's one I would make myself. <laughs> um, but I think, so right now we have, there are eight pools plus the pod of seven. Um, And so within that, let's assume that we get two from every pool. 
So that would be put us at 16 from just the pools. And then from the pod, we have to get at least three more or like at least two more. And then I hit that over. And I think both Texas Quidditch and Harvard Horndells will probably win. And looking at the matchups, I think it's also likely that either West Virginia or Pitt gets just looking at matchups. Sorry, got to take a second. But I think it's likely that either West Virginia or Pitt also gets those wins. Um, and so I think we would solidly be at like 19 as our amount. So like three from the sit, like basically if half of every pool or pod qualifies, then we would hit 17. So I think, or we would hit 19 teams. So I will take the over. Maybe I should, should have set the line a little bit higher. Not bad. Cool. All right. Let's do club. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think, again, as we've kind of figured out and discussing it with college, I think the numbers are a little tricky. Um, but I am also going to argue under for the, for the club division as well. Um, I think especially in the club division, as I think both of us have talked about at different times, um, I really see kind of the, I'm going to say like storied programs, just like I, I see the, the club teams that have been successful in the past, even though it's been multiple years at this point, being really successful again, whether those um, players are playing for the exact same club name or whether that team is in kind of a new iteration under a different name. Um, so, I mean, not to be too much of a homer, but I really see the Boston Northeast, uh, like New Jersey, like teams like the Warriors, teams like Bosney, um, Pandas, Pegasus, um, Texas Hill Country Heat, Calvary. Uh, I really see teams like this, Terminus. Um, I really see these teams kind of dominating over a lot of the club division. Uh, and winning a lot of games um, and really therefore kind of forcing a lot of these other teams into much less uh, winning game schedules over the course of the way the pools play out. All right. So I will be arguing the over and I think that we will have more than 17 and a half club teams qualify for this bracket because again all you have to do is win two games and yes while there are those a lot of the places have clear favorites I also feel like there is a lot of possibility for getting like a 2v2 2 and 1 2 and 1 2 and 1s and then like an 0 and 4 as opposed to like a 4 and 0 3 and 1 2 2 2 1 and 3 um Oh, and four, just because there like will be like some, I don't know. I, I think I once maybe described club as like a bunch of meatballs on top of the pile of the spaghetti. And it kind of feels that way in that like 
if you look at like uh, CCI, the open division, like we had DCQC and TCQC as like the two finalist teams there. Um, but then TCQC went to the West and did lose a few games. So maybe that's a little bit more spaghetti. And then we saw teams like Salt Lake and um, like TCQC beat the uh, Pandas at Sin City. And I just think that there is like, even like at the West Regional, there was a lot of parody and a lot of very close games. And I think this is a kind of like, if all you have to do is win two games, then there are definitely two teams that are beatable by every other team in that, depending on like your matchup, how many people people are bringing. So I think there, like, there is a definite ability for teams. Like, if you look at like, yeah, I think just based on the matchups there's a lot of ways for a team to win two games and i think if that's all you have to do to make the bracket we're probably seeing i'm gonna guess like a 22 23 team bracket for club maybe less maybe 20. i'm gonna say solidly 20. that's i feel comfortable with that thank you all so much for listening to this or that is what i titled this in our document so that's what we're calling it um, I hope that you have enjoyed it and that you have your own takes on our questions. Feel free to comment and or tell us why we're wrong. Yeah, I think one of the things that was fun for us about doing this is is really trying to position yourself on the other side of the argument and really consider that, I mean, like we talked about multiple times, this Nationals really could be wide open and it'll be really exciting to go and see how everything plays out and just to be back on that sort of stage again because it's been a while. Yeah. And I hope this is good listening for your travels, if that's when we get it out. Um, I hope that if you're going to nationals, your flights are fun and not cursed, and that there are only immaculate vibes at nationals because, like, nationals is the best time. And I'm so excited to go. Yeah. And instead of encouraging you to engage with you know, only us. This time I want to encourage all of you to please go out and when you're at either at Nationals attending in person or following along online, definitely engage in discussions and share and just really kind of heighten the experience for everyone. Um, get out there and, and meet people, you meet your competition. I feel like this is a really good social and competitive event. And so just really use this space um, to just make the most out of what this Quidditch community is. Yeah. Uh, thank you again to our producer, Nick Jablonski, and uh, Christina Gux, who helps us with, well, who provides the music we play on this podcast. Um, and make sure to uh, submit any questions you'd like us to discuss if you have any and i believe there are also some pod episodes coming out in the next couple of days slash week so check that out too definitely well thank you again all for listening and we can't wait to uh, talk back at you all again soon <laughs>